Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Hey, James Wilt. Hey, how's it going? Good. Freelance journalist, geography student joining us from Winnipeg. Thanks so much for having me on. It's good to have you on. We are going to talk today, James, about the viral video that at first glance seemed to sum up all of the ugliness, racism, division, and indecency of this current moment. Mm -hmm. But upon closer review on second glance, definitely sums up the ugliness, <laughs> racism, division, and indecency of the current moment. Absolutely. And we are going to talk about the fact that the internet is desperately in need of regulation and who better to do so than a bunch of federal government of Canada bureaucrats. Yeah, love those civil servants. Glad to have you with us. Thanks. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Ryan Newman, Amelie Jean-Vaughn Laporte, Don Aglinski, Scott Patton, Justin Kenville, Ernestine Deschamps, Deborah Smith, and Geneviève Dale. Hi, my name is Geneviève Dale and I live in Calgary. I'm a supporter of Canada Land for a few reasons. Firstly, being a high school teacher means I feel responsible to keep up with current events affecting Canadians, especially anything the mainstream news is not taking the time or the depth to cover. And secondly, as a former campus radio staffer, I feel that supporting media outlets like Canada Land helps to promote a diversity of perspectives in the media landscape. And James, this episode is brought to you by Audible. Do you happen to listen to audiobooks? I actually do. I'm kind of addicted to them. It's a problem. They're a problem for podcasting, um, but you know... <laughs> 
I guess if we have to lose listeners to something, books, you know, I accept. I accept if we lose listeners to books like uh, The Last Days of August by John Ronson, introduced to me via podcast. John Ronson, I learned about him from This American Life. And I've read John Ronson and I've listened to John Ronson reading himself. And I vastly prefer John Ronson. I love his Welsh accent. I love his delivery. I love his dry wit. I love his self effacing It's just so much better when he reads it himself. And uh, his new book, The Last Days of August, is available. You get it for free when you sign up for a 30-day free trial with Audible. So check this out. Start a 30-day free trial. Your first book is free. Learn more at audible.ca slash Canada. That is audible.ca slash Canada. So James, at this point, so much has been said and written and screamed about the Covington Catholic Boys thing. Maybe it's useful for us to look at this through how we try to look at things through the, the lens of Canadian media. Mm-hmm. The first bit of media outrage came when uh, the CBC, which is becoming a pattern, they tweeted, I think, a a perfectly fine news story about this confrontation between this group of yelping jackals and uh, this native elder. But, you know, the headline was more sober and I think told you more about the story than the kind of secondary headline, which is how the tweet was framed. And, Mm -hmm. And that headline or that tweet read, Video shows youth standing extremely close to elderly man <laughs> while others laugh. It was unreal. Like I, I saw it compared to something that would be like written by a bot. Like it didn't seem like a human was behind it. It was almost like a parody of like what you would think. Like if the Beaverton was like to take a stab at CBC's like iterations of tweets, this this would be what would come out of it. And then they they apologize a bit like or I, I don't know if you want to call it apology, but they uh, caveat and said the original tweet on this story lacked context. The circulating video shows a youth wearing a Make America Great Again hat standing extremely close to an elderly Native American as he chants and plays a drum. Other youths surrounded them, laughing and shouting. So, like, they committed the exact same error of just, like, describing as if, you know, like, you're just a completely non-partial observer. It was, it was pretty shocking. I think it got a lot of flack. It got a lot of flack in the first chapter mm. of when public opinion, this video was shooting around, everybody was appalled by it. And then the CBC taking this really bizarrely neutral stance where they were mm-hmm. refusing. It's a really interesting tweet that obviously there were conversations behind how this was presented. Definitely. And, you know, having had conversations about headlines, I can just imagine, you know, there's so much you don't know based on the first video that got around that I can imagine that somebody skeptically mm-hmm. operating as a journalist should and saying, well, can we say that they swarmed Nathan Phillips as other media is reporting? We don't know that. You can't tell that that, sure. you know, who swarmed who. Yeah. So let's leave that out of the tweet. What do we know for sure? Let's just describe this in the most like precise way we can using only what we can verify, mm-hmm. which is that there is a video. It shows a youth standing extremely close to an elderly man while others laugh. And that like, can the truth get you in trouble? In this case, it did. They got ratioed. People felt like, because <laughs> yeah. any human being watching this, this one video, the initial video is like, this is horrifying. Definitely. They're not merely standing there and laughing. They are mocking this guy. And mm-hmm. there is something very, very threatening and frightening about this pack of boys boys like are we at a point now where we can't say they're mocking him or, or right. that they were that there was something threatening about their presence because we're we're so careful and i think public outrage was towards the cbc and that's why the cbc followed up with that tweet mm-hmm. now it's being suggested as the further context has been learned that maybe they were right in the first place mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be so cautious in their wording right 
I want to talk with you a bit more about that, but like, let's continue to kind of like, uh, there's two more pieces of CBC coverage of this that are worth noting. For sure, yeah. Because we did learn more. Like, More context is always a good thing. And it's obvious, like, nobody imagined that they just teleported in this confrontation with each other. Obviously, something preceded that first video. Yeah. And I've watched all of the videos and, you know, I do know more and everybody, I think, knows more about how that happened. I don't want to play devil's advocate Mm-hmm. In this instance, first of all, because I don't think those boys are devils. <laughs> Second, because I don't believe in the devil. And third, because if if I was a devil, I think he's got pretty good representation already. <laughs> to wit, let's let somebody else uh, do that, which is uh, the current hat on Robbie Soav, who wrote yeah. an article for Reason, the libertarian mm-hmm. magazine. And he represented, I guess, the other side. And the other side now is very loud and very angry. People who felt mm-hmm. that everybody got it wrong with this. Once you had the full context Uh, Mm -hmm. This is what we actually uh, saw, according to the other side. Well, if you just look at the brief clip, uh, it's easy to mistake uh, what's happening. You miss so much important context. But if you you go back and watch, I mean, there's almost two hours of footage. I've watched uh, a a lot of it. I mean, the fact that this uh, really crazy group, the black Hebrew Israelites, I I live in D.C. I've I've actually encountered them before. They, They... set up shop near the metro stations, and they're, I mean, they're, they're vile people, and they, they were shouting obscenities, anti-gay slurs, racial slurs, at the high school boys uh, for an hour, and the boys actually don't react badly to it at all. They're, eventually, they're doing cheers to kind of drown them out. There's nothing wrong about it, and that's when the Native American veteran shows up and really misreads the situation, thinks they're threatening the, uh, the, the black people, and really it's, it's the other way around. But most of the kids are just jumping and waving their arms uh, because they're, doing, they're just sort of doing a pep rally cheer, and they're doing that before, uh, before Nathan Phillips, the Native American man, uh, even comes up. I mean, it's confusing, but the answer is there. We can watch the footage. We can maybe there there is room for some disagreement on interpreting exactly what's going on, but I I just think it's really clear that uh, that you know most of the kids are behaving like kids, but not in a particularly noteworthy or or or, 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 or in a manner that is is should be stridently condemned. Okay, so uh, let, let... And, and certainly not the main kids, Sandman. What do you make of that um, other perspective on this, James? Yeah, I mean, like for me, no, nothing about the new videos makes it any better. I think it's arguably even worse. Like you watch the videos, right? Like it's I did. like, yeah, you, you see this pack of 50 or 100 white kids chanting and screaming and acting very menacingly. And this is like behavior to anyone who isn't, you know, a cis white man comes across as highly threatening. And like maybe this is just, you know, schoolyard behavior for these boys. But if you are... Uh, a black person, indigenous person, if you are non-binary, trans, a woman, like this is threatening behavior. Um, and this was, you know, well before the exchange with Phillips, we saw, um, you know, kid rip off his shirt. And I, I think what he did was kind of mimic a haka, which is also an indigenous dance out of New Zealand. Um, so Phillips entered the fray, dividing the kids from, you know, the black Hebrew Israelites who, you know, as Robbie said, they are a homophobic, misogynist group, and they should be condemned. But the way that he draws a focus from the behavior of these these white kids who are very like they're performing in a very like threatening way, and then like assigns blame to the black Hebrew Israelites as if the white kids didn't have any other choice, as if this was just you know the the immediate response was like oh you you know like the, the only thing that you can do is just do these these massive you know threatening chants is is that's not that's not reasonable at all in my mind. I feel like so silly. 
I simultaneously, um, and I think a lot of journalists are looking at this, like we're just so aware of how to the the other side of this, who feels like the media overreacted and made villains of these boys unfairly, there is no greater proof in the world at this moment than the liberal groupthink of the media, the um, swarming attack mentality. We don't even give a shit about, you know, just boys doing what boys do. We're willing to destroy their lives over our social right. justice politics and whatnot. Like, like this is at a fever pitch. And a lot of journalists are actually like backing off and, and capitulating to that pressure. Mm -hmm, definitely. And I feel myself like before we even get into any of the kind of conversation, like on a basic level of decency to the millions of people who watched that video and saw those boys, first of all, just like mocking and they were mocking. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Mocking a, an old man. Yeah. To see it like a, a huge, huge group of like just this writhing mass of teenagers. And like, you know, I, I have my own issues with like, I don't like pep rallies. I don't like 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 <laughs> sports cheers. I don't like the way that young yeah. men, uh, I don't like huge group mobs of people when they get all excited. I just feel like it's a matter of time before they just turn on somebody and lynch them. But, you know, that's my Absolutely. stuff. That's yeah. my stuff. Yeah. Um, from a, just a human decency standpoint, that grossed a lot of people out. And mm -hmm. no one was wrong. No mm -hmm. one was wrong to be grossed out by that. Totally. You know, this was not boys just being boys. This was the type of enabling, like, like that came, it was out of hand. Mm -hmm. And then you, you bring in the fact that, that unmistakably they were making fun of his drumming. They were yeah. making fun of his indigeneity, you know, yeah. like, like the, the tomahawk chops and, and all that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And the, you know, that kid Sandman, I think, is just lying. You know, the, the, totally. what he said in his statement, which went through PR, you know, crisis communications help. And fine, you know, I understand this is a big moment in his young life. Mm -hmm. Get all the help you can mm -hmm. get. But the idea that he was trying to de-escalate the situation, I think what really set a lot of people off was that you had this one figure in this mob of people who are expressing themselves like these, like, you know, like primates. Exactly, yeah. You have this one with a, with a certain intelligence in his eye step forward and say, I'm going to intimidate this old man in a different way. Right. I'm just going to, you know, get in his face. And there's a, this huge debate over who approached who. Mm -hmm. Sandman made the decision. I'm going to put my face inches away from his and smile smugly with confidence. And no one was mistaken in reading that as a disparaging. Mm -hmm. The intention of that is very clear. Mm -hmm. It is a very scary thing to be asked, you know, like the term gaslighting is going around, mm -hmm. like to be asked to doubt your own eyes, totally. to, to doubt your own experience. Yeah. Like we're, we're being asked like, no, 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 it's not what you thought. That was healthy behavior. In fact, it was virtuous behavior right. because <laughs> the, the black Israelites were the ones yelling yeah. all sorts of um, homophobic slurs and, and racial slurs. And they, they responded with a pep rally. Right. What, what else could they do? <laughs> Yeah. And like, I, I do really think it needs to be emphasized that these kids were coming from a March for Life event. Like it's a vehemently anti-choice event. They were wearing fascist merchandise. Like the Make America Great Again hat has been compared numerous times on Twitter to a KKK hood. And I do think that that is like correct. Like, let's just do a quick review of what is going on like in America right now. Like Trump has asylum seekers in concentration camps. He's implemented a Muslim and refugee ban. The Republicans have committed widespread electoral fraud. They've overseen and encouraged the resurgence of fascist street violence. There's been pipe bombs sent, 11 Jewish people killed in the worst act of anti-Semitic violence on American soil in history, assault on trans rights, hate crimes are up. And these are the hats that these kids are wearing when they, you know, conduct this kind of confrontation. That's not a neutral hat to wear. That's a heavily politicized 
heavily fascist hat to wear. And so, like, of course, like, when people see that and when they see the, the look on that kid's face, that communicates a great deal. And, like, all this backtracking and everything that's going on is just, like, it's an indication to me that, like, media has learned nothing from the election of Trump. Like, they are repeating the exact same things about, like, both sidism and, like, you got to hear them out. And now, now the kid has been interviewed uh, by NBC. You know, he's being, you know, like, offered this opportunity to defend himself, not only, like, through the, the PR-produced statement, but now on television, which has been widely circulated. It's really disturbing. Look, half the people don't see it that way, right? Like right. Yeah. to half the people, uh, I don't agree with pro-life uh, and I don't even like using the term pro-life because I think that's a torqued. Uh, anyhow, Agreed. Yeah. It, it is a political position that, that I understand that people differ with me on. And these boys were sure. expressing their right to free expression in marching because of all the insight they have about women's rights. No, whatever. <laughs> they have a right to not agree with us on sure. that, right? And uh, the hats they were wearing were just so, like, that's the president. You know, we want to delegitimize <laughs> that hat by calling it all these names. That's the president hat. But of course, that's the moment we're in, right? Like, mm -hmm. if you are a person of color, if you like, that is the hat, that is a grab them by the pussy hat. That is a shithole country hat. You yeah. know, that yeah. that is a rapist and murders from Mexico hat. That, yeah. you know, it is not extreme from that point of view to equate that with, Something even as extreme as a KKK hood to see mm -hmm. a, a, a rising. Like, is it Hitler Youth? Is it Clockwork Orange? Clockwork exactly, Orange, yeah. at least they're like outlaws, you know? Yeah. This is like, <laughs> I mean, but, you know, I, I just, I mean, you know, in this moment of like, I totally understand that. And I think that's an incredibly threatening thing. And I, I understand why, you know, a smaller group of, you know, I don't know anything about the black Israelites, but, you yeah. know, what, how that confrontation began, I could see how that would be threatening to them. And I, I don't think they should be yelling epithets back. Sure. But it's clear that Nathan Phillips was trying to act as a de-escalator and a peacekeeper and somehow was the idea that the boys were just confused. I think it's just like they're just not used to seeing people who aren't white and they just sort exactly. of saw it as a, as a continuation of the black Israelites. And yeah, I, I also don't think it's the biggest deal in the world. Like, like, you know, it is a symbolic thing that summed up so much about where we're at right now. But I think that we should take pause and understand that there's a constant churn of uh, videos online and that the reason why or the mechanism through which that video came to wide-scale prominence was that there was a Twitter account that has since been banned by Twitter that was looking for videos. It was a anti-Trump Twitter account, uh, you know, fight in 2020. It seemed to exist merely to kind of seek out materials, you know, that were propaganda, political content that would get people uh, on side against Trump, you know? So we, we have to look at the mechanisms. That, that is looked at as fuel as to why this was fake. It's not fake. I mean, you want to uh, expand the context to what happened beyond just that first initial clip. Well, okay, let's let's expand the context. We've expanded that context totally. to talk about the use of blackface from Covington mm -hmm. School students yep. at sporting events. We've, we've, uh, we have more context of those boys harassing women yep. that same day before that happened. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have the context of all the, the all-white teaching staff of that school. Exactly. And you, and you look at the videos um, sort of after the fact, and, and there's an argument that happens between an indigenous man and one of the students, and the student is like he, he explicitly says and this is like basically like a white supremacist like talking boy is like oh we're all from africa and he's like oh you know like and then asia and then the bering strait and the bering strait theory is like that's that a renowned like mechanism of trying to delegitimize indigenous rights to this land and then later on there's a quote and i'm not sure if it's by the same guy but he says land gets stolen it's how it works like this is on on video and we also have to contextualize this you know trump has made he recently made light of the genocide at Wounded Knee. He, you know, constantly calls Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. The federal shutdown is decimating American Indian, Indian reserves um, as the treaties with the federal government, you know, pay for health, education, infrastructure, all that kind of thing. So in my mind, like, it, it really isn't like a throwaway moment. Like, I agree with you that, you know, this this is a video that obviously 
sparks like strong opinions, but I think for good reason, because it really is emblematic of like the violence against indigenous peoples, which happens on a daily basis. And like people who are like, oh, it was just, you know, it was just a fun thing. It was just people smiling. Don't like really understand how microaggressions and how like kind of these daily acts of violence against people of color do like manifest. And it's it's like a textbook example of that. And I think, yeah, we, we can move on from this to a certain extent and say like this was just one incident, but at the same time, like it, it does really capture everything that's going on right now with the federal government and with like the resurgence of fascist violence and all that kind of thing. So I think we can like agree on that probably. I think that the, the the impulse to try to move on, even if it means kind of like conceding something, is the wrong impulse. And I want to read yeah, what Robin Urbach, um, Robin Urbach, uh, who runs the CBC's ill-fated, uh, I don't know, we'll see, the, the opinion vertical, <laughs> the opinion vertical of the CBC's website started by Steve Lauderante. We should have an opinion section. Then, of course, he had some opinions and now he's in Scotland. Yeah. And now Robin Urbach is, uh, is running the thing. And she tweeted, we goofed, myself included. Coverage of Covington standoff ought to be one hell of a wake-up call for media. And then she links to her piece where it's a really weird piece where she's sort of trying to like – she calls out like – she's including herself. We goofed, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, you might think after the way the public responded to that initial CBC tweet that she was referring to the CBC goofing in tweeting the way that they did. Right. Yeah, of course. No, not mentioned. And CBC (laughs) basically never criticizes CBC. She calls out like Reuters, uh, CNN, uh, Vox, others – for getting something wrong, and they did. They reported initially that 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 crowd swarmed Nathan Phillips, mm-hmm. which I think they I think they didn't. Nathan Phillips approached the crowd. They kind of then like did encapsulate him, but I think it you know it was a misstatement to say they swarmed him as if they initiated the, the you know. Sure, but that that doesn't change the situation. In my it mind. doesn't change the situation. Yeah. And if the goof, the big, this huge hell of a wake up call for the media is predicated on that, well, why is Robin Urbach implicating herself? Because she didn't say that they swarmed him. Right. So she says, how did she goof? She goofed by uncritically retweeting retweeting something <laughs> the original video and, yeah. and you know i was why was that wrong to right. to share that i mean that was being viewed by millions it was obviously newsworthy it wasn't doctored no you know it's usually the case that the first video then requires more context and as time goes on we find out more things you say you retweeted it uncritically and that's this huge hell of a wake-up call mistake you made what would the criticism have been mm-hmm. of that initial clip that, that mm-hmm. would have made the retweeting better or should you not have retweeted and they pretended that that wasn't what everybody was doing she never responded to those questions so like it makes me wonder like why and a lot of media you know the current even in airing that panel and having that reason journalist on i think he makes some mistakes i don't think that the black israelites were yelling insults for an hour i think it was like 20 minutes you know like Mm -hmm. there's just like there's this thing that media gets into where it's it's getting so much pressure about a story that they're almost in too much of a hurry to correct that they overcorrect and get things they, wrong in they the correction. Correct. Yeah. And of course, there's, there's no mention that the uh, that the PR firm, which is, you know, doing the work for the kid, it's called RunSwitch. It's based out of Kentucky. And one of the three partners is a regular contributor on CNN where Jake Tapper obviously works. And Jake Tapper was one of the first to, to really like blow up the kid's statement. No mention of that. No mention of um, Jenny, who, who is the partner's connection to uh, McConnell's re-election campaign. He's been a senior advisor to Romney's presidential campaign. Like the whole like machine behind, you know, kind of rehabilitating this kid immediately is deeply political, but there's no mention of that. 
you know, when people like uh, Robin step up and are like, you know, we goofed or whatever. Another thing to kind of like frame it with, you know, Robin Urbach is, you know, there was there was that incident that happened in Nathan Phillips Square, you know, where uh, a, a presumably anti-fascist activist borrowed the hat of, you know, the Toronto Sun photographer and threw it back. And, you know, there, there was an allegation of a concussion. Dude, and dude, that- dude, hold on, hold on, hold on. You didn't borrow the hat. Well, like, he like, come on, come okay, on. He okay, borrow the hat. Okay, he aggressively took the hat. Yeah, he threw it back. And remember, like Robin Urbach also wrote a piece which kind of blew it up based on you know information from the Toronto Sun about how you know how, how traumatic it was and how you know like it, it was emblematic of anti-fascist violence. And there was never any yeah. follow-up done. Candleland, like you know, to your credit, was like the only publication that ever did follow-up about actually what happened there. You know what's interesting about about Robin is that she's the first person, whenever I make pronouncements that the media has done this or the media has done that, she's the first person to say, what is this monolithic media you refer to that, that just decides to do something? The media right. is made up of tons of voices, tons of people. In this case, we goofed. Right. You know, me and the media, we, yeah. we goofed on this. Uh, she's, she, you know, she's very swayable to this kind of like being sympathetic to this anti-media I hate to talk about Robin with like I've invited her on the show many times and she you know she's been on once before but since going with the CBC she tells me that they they're revisiting their guidelines as to her media <laughs> appearances or something anyhow I'd love to I'd love to give her the chance but I don't know we could go on and on and we're adding to a you know an expansive uh mm-hmm. dossier of discussion about this one incident but I, I you know ultimately James I think I agree with you like yes I see the like the point of view of like this was a big nothing you know is it that big a deal mm-hmm. the symbolic relevance of this and the resonance that this has and the the, the way in which this kind of characterizes our moment uh, that's not an excuse to kind of like trample over people's lives who were, you know, they, they were in a public space. It's okay to videotape them. They were videotaping themselves. I support, I think a lot of the original media was very responsible in not naming them. And a lot of, I think the indigenous people who were there in reporting this were careful to make that decision as well. Why is one side always so eager to tamp it down and say, okay, let's move on. Mistakes were made. The other side has no interest in tamping down the temperature and, and, and making things okay and smoothing things over. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this was an important moment. It did say something. And, you know, We'll leave it for now, but um, if if I could just say like one last thing, like the sure. the way that you know media has done this, you know, double take and said, oh, we we goofed or we messed up or whatever, it's because Phillips exercised agency and it's because he made the decision to walk into that crowd and yeah, that mob you know surrounded him to a certain extent afterwards and they took that as a reason that you know the the whole story was somehow disproven and that's that's not the case at all. Like may, maybe the media should have better framed the fact that Phillips did exercise agency and it was his decision to enter because when it was first reported, it seemed like he was just drumming and singing and then was surrounded. He made the the active choice to enter that as a de-escalation tool. And I, I don't think that does anything to delegitimize his action or the fact that there was racist violence perpetrated against him. And of course, we don't think of racist violence as white people um, if, if it's not, you know, like using racial slurs. But racism manifests in many, many ways. And this is a perfect example of how, you know, indigenous black people of color have to walk through their lives every single day and experience this, like these smiles and these, you know, these little sayings here and there, like this, this is daily life. And so I I really do feel like this is emblematic of that and that Nathan Phillips um, exercise agency and we should celebrate him for that. 
You know what? I never even thought that he was swarmed. I mean, I know that that had been reported, but my original outrage of that video was not based on the idea that he'd been swarmed. Right, I, right. I knew that he was playing a, a peacekeeper role. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what to say. Like, you know, the use of the term violence, I understand the, the way you're using the term violence. I think we do need a word that means physical violence. Like, we need a sure. term in the English language yeah. that, that distinguishes those things. We can delineate that, yeah. I, I also feel for those boys. It's very clear that they live in a bubble and, and that they have been told that things are all right that are not all right. I mean, like, this is illustrative in that way, too. Like, these are people who everything kind of happened in that moment you know yeah. it's just it's just like the, the bubbles were burst and the nation in, in America's capital these worlds collided and uh they they need to be confronted with that there's a bigger world than what yes. they've been told and what they've been sent there to march for and Absolutely. I don't know let's do a mattress ad <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Douglas a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast trust is important there are a lot of mattress lies out there a lot of mattress liars and I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. James, uh, you listen to Shortcuts every week. Love everything I say. Agree with it all. Of course. And you are familiar, uh, you're familiar with, people don't know that you don't agree with me on a lot of things. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't said that because <laughs> why would I frame things that way? But one thing we can agree on is that some things need to be noted duly and are not noted duly enough. And um, perhaps you can begin by noting something uh, duly. Of course, yeah. It's a Winnipeg-specific story, and I, I do think it's a, it's, a, it's a situation which has been covered by local media but didn't really get any national attention. On uh, Friday, uh, January 11th at about 8 p.m., uh, police were called to uh, a spot actually quite close to where I live. Altercation of some sort happened, and Chad Williams, who's a 26-year-old Indigenous man and father of two, was uh, shot to death. They were called because he was, quote-unquote, acting suspiciously. And so Chad took off. Officers ran into him again in a nearby vacant lot, was the reporting, and the police alleged that a man pulled out a weapon and then officers uh, shot at him. Uh, CBC interviewed an eyewitness who said that uh, Williams was unarmed. He also said that uh, a taser was used at some point before the shooting, which CTV also um, confirmed in their report of the scene. Uh, and so family and friends have had a vigil 
50 people attended. There was drumming. And Independent Investigation Unit of Manitoba is investigating. I find this really concerning just because um, this is a, it's a murder of an Indigenous man by police. Winnipeg uh, has the highest per capita police ratio in the entire country. And it, it is a microcosm of a lot of different issues uh, in 2016, uh, Williams was tasered by police uh, after he refused to drop a tire iron, um, CBC reported. And apparently he was high on meth at the time and he told officers to shoot him. I don't think that's necessarily relevant uh, to this particular murder because, uh, you know, his dad says that he was he was off drugs. And in 2011, they, they lost their home to a fire. And so they were homeless for a while. And so for me, it's a representation of Indigenous incarceration and police brutality. There's, you know, the so-called meth crisis, there's unsafe housing, there's all these sorts of things. And I, I really want to call people's attention to the murder of Chad Williams and really hope that his family can find justice. We'll throw a link to some coverage of that up on uh, the website with the show notes to this podcast. Duly noted. James, I have something. Okay, let's hear it. By now, a lot of people have heard that uh, Mark Emery, the, the Prince of Pot, is facing um, a series of allegations of mm -hmm. uh, sexual misconduct and impropriety. I want to duly note that we worked with Deidre Olson, the journalist who I think broke this story on Twitter. We worked with Deidre for uh, some time, over a year ago it began, on the Mark Emery story, and we never published it. Wow. And there have been like call-outs on Twitter for, from you know sources who spoke with us, you know, why did I trust my story with you only to have it sit? And I feel like I should talk about that a bit. Mm -hmm. So... In working with Deidre on this, a story that we felt was legitimate, and we came to believe these numerous reports of, of misconduct were valid enough to, to report, we had a major source pull out. Okay. A lot of the story hung on that, and we, we, we didn't feel that it was ready to be published. Now, there's a couple of things about that. I think it, I pointed out because one thing that I think bears repeating is this doesn't happen in a day. Like there's this idea that the media is incredibly irresponsible, that somebody uh, says something about some guy and he's me too by that afternoon and his life is ruined. There is a process that this has to go through of uh, verification, trying to find as many sources as possible and giving opportunity for the other side to speak. It takes an incredible amount of time and resources and not every story gets there. I think that that is a defense of our of our journalistic practices that I don't want to leave it just there because I think that there's another side of this. I'm not, I don't feel okay. I don't feel great about the fact that, and this was like, you know, I think Deidre um, agreed with us that we were not ready. The story was not ready at that point to publish, but it languished and we did not find another way. We didn't find another way to report this. And it sat there. And I think that uh, Deidre reached a point that I'm very familiar with where something that you know is true and that a lot of people have confirmed and affirmed is not known. And I believe that it's when they were watching the R. Kelly documentary that Deidre said, fuck it, hmm. the truth has to come out and made themselves incredibly vulnerable by breaking the story on Twitter. That is not ideal. That's not good for journalists who become uh, very e easy pickings for, you know, both trolls online and for possible legal consequences to not have libel insurance, to not have uh, a masthead over the story is not the best way for this to happen. It's not, and it's not good for the sources. It's not good for the story. You want this to be covered. I think that this story, you know, some of the fates that can befall somebody who just goes on Twitter and, and sort of blasts it out, I think are not going to befall Deidre. I hope they won't. The story has been picked up, I think largely because Mark Emery chose to go ahead and write a big self-defense on Facebook, which a uh, self-defense that which essentially confirmed a good number of the allegations. Wow. 
and you know the genre of the uh, let me get ahead of the story by posting to Facebook is like this is a hell of an entry into that. So people should read it. But that's what opened the door for mainstream media to pick up the story. And so, you know, sadly, it gets kind of framed through Mark Emery. It's not the story of the accusers. It's Mark Emery defends himself becomes the story. Nevertheless, his defense contained a lot of, uh, you know, admissions. And uh, since Deidre has been able to publish a story with Leafly.com, uh, it's been picked up by Now Toronto. So I'm glad to see that the story is is holding. And, you know, we said before, like, these stories need resources. We didn't quite hit our goal in getting somebody full-time. There's still a stack of, of names and, and stories that we think might be credible that we, we, we're not there yet with. And anyhow, I'm just trying to provide as much transparency about this as possible. I don't feel great about it. I understand why things happen. I don't know what we would have done differently. I guess I just wish that we would have had more conversations about, okay, a major source fell through. Let's keep looking. Let's keep digging. Is there, is, is there some other way? And uh, we're having an internal conversation about how we could have done better with this story. Duly noted. James, we've saved the best for last. We're going to talk about telecom policy. Hell yeah. Been waiting Hells for this moment. Yes. CRTC. <laughs> I love him. I, I used to cover this stuff regularly. And I remember the CRTC saying, like, we understand that we are becoming obsolete. And under their right. previous chairman, it was like, our job is basically just to, like, navigate our own way out the door because we're here to <laughs> we're here to regulate uh, television and radio and this public property that is, uh, you know, frequency. Right. And that shit don't matter anymore because yeah. it's the internet now. And so we're just going to basically be, like, a closing up shop politely. No, the new chairman has a very different for an idea. I have to read this to you. So here's what uh, CRTC, what they're, they've asked for the authority to regulate online service providers like Netflix, but it's actually much greater than that. I'm going to read some, some CRTC stuff here. Mm -hmm. In the internet-based communications environment, control over market entry has been greatly reduced. So they used to be able to say, you can have a channel, you can't. Now nobody has to ask them permission. Back to CRTC here. Future legislation should place greater reliance on other, more sophisticated systems of incentives and obligations intended to achieve specific outcomes in more precise ways and place less reliance on controlling market entry. New legislation should grant CRTC explicit statutory authority as well as flexible tools to regulate services both domestic and international, including online service providers who offer audio and video services in Canada, who benefit from the creative, economic, and social advantages of operating in this Canadian market. Such an approach would aid in ensuring that all players contribute in an equitable and effective manner to achieving the public policy outcomes established for new legislation, including the promotion and discoverability of Canadian content. And check this out. The CRTC is also seeking increased ability to collect data from exempt services operating in Canada, both Canadian and non-Canadian. Yeah, that seems huh. a concern. <laughs> huh. What the fuck? Yeah. The main thing I want to know about this is like, are we going to get a video like Harper did where he comes out and talks about his love of Breaking Bad uh, as a reason for not having a Netflix tax, but this time with Andrew Shear talking about Game of Thrones? That's what I want to know. I don't know what to make. Okay, first of all, some people have the idea that I'm some kind of like free market libertarian. <laughs> I think that there is a place for the government uh, on the Internet. I think yeah. that, what you know, like we, we need the government to be involved in Internet infrastructure, mm -hmm. in access to the Internet, in affordability. Like, yeah. like having access to the Internet, high-speed Internet is absolutely like table stakes for just being a citizen, for having freedom of expression. Totally. Yeah. And, you know, antitrust stuff, like mm -hmm. I think the government has a, a role to play in looking at what's happening in the ad markets and Google and Facebook. I, And I think that 
yeah, I, I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of willing to pursue a conversation about when it comes to like you know foreign actors fucking with our democratic process through Facebook ads. I think government might have a role. Sure, this isn't about that at all. Right, this is about like we used to be able to say you can have a channel, you can't, and you can have a channel because you're going to kick back this much money into making CanCon. Mm -hmm. And we can't say that anymore because everybody doesn't have to ask us permission before they have uh, a website that streams video. So now we're going to need new tools, government. We're going to need new tools in order to like levy fines against audio. So like that's us, I guess, you know, conflict disclosed. Like this looks like it would extend to Candleland to podcast providers uh, or video services that if you're not helping us achieve our public policy goals, including the promotion and discoverability of Canadian content, we're going to like charge you money. (laughs) I mean, the irony is here, like we make Canadian content in Canada land. You know, if you think that like what's going to help us do what we do here anyhow every day is to be under CRTC regulation where they're like, I don't know, extracting fees from us and their definition of Canadian content might be different than ours, like because traditionally that's been like a certain kind of uh, you know a point system of making like sitcoms and and dra- like does this count as Canadian content? Because if Canada Land doesn't, I don't know what the hell. <laughs> you know, Geist uh, Michael Geist has been writing about like yeah. this is a huge power grab from the CRTC that looks to me like it's an attempt to basically put the entire internet under their regulatory framework, like. I know that they're like setting their sights on Spotify and Netflix, but how mm-hmm. do you limit, like if you're saying, if you're an audio or video provider, we're looking to ensnare Netflix in that because that's the big player, mm-hmm. but anybody provides video, you know? Right, right. Yeah, and I, I think it's important to provide uh, context of what's happening in the EU because they're, they're moving ahead with their own law that will like require streamers like, you know, Amazon Prime Video and Netflix to devote, you know, 30% of on-demand libraries to, to local content. So it's like, it's not completely out of the blue, but I, I share your concerns that the CRTC is not necessarily invested in the concept of like, uh, you know, like democracy or like, or really like ensuring that people have like democratic control over like th- these kind of processes. Which, yeah, I, I understand where you're coming from. Like, I, I feel like more regulation is always a good thing. I just kind of come from that perspective. I found Wait, this you, up. Is that your, your perspective is that more regulation is always a good thing? More regulation like it's, it's is always, always a good thing. A good thing. Always bad. a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Just, just a, just a catch-all. I mean, I think there's, there's plenty of arguments to be had around what these regulations look like, who they're intended to benefit. But I think, you know, government taking uh, an increased role in things like taxation, like making sure that, you know, like Netflix is paying like income tax, you know, is putting like a certain amount of percentage into investing in Canadian content. I realize that Canadian content is a very controversial uh, subject, mostly tied to its quality, but it's tough to see how that quality can improve unless they have consistent funding. What do you think? I know that you uh, you probably differ on that point. <laughs> uh, I don't even know where to begin with you. I, I'm really <laughs> curious about this. Uh, you know, every like you're. you're I guess religion. Uh, you really, but it has to be an article <laughs> of faith that all sure. regulation is always a good thing. I, I don't even know where to begin. No, I, I look. The CRTC had one job. Okay, right. they had lots of jobs. But as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to the internet, there was one thing that they could do that they set themselves to do, which was just to improve like the way that we're getting fleeced by our internet service providers, you know, and, and our yeah. cell phone providers. Yeah, that was like over the last ten years. That has they've tried all these mechanisms. Like, like, and as far as like public reception is like we can maybe begin a conversation with you guys after you've solved this huge problem Canada has, which is mm-hmm. that our, our speeds are shit, our prices are high, it's monopolized, you can't seem to get third-party like competition into this. 
and they've just fucked the dogs so consistently and thoroughly uh, on that. Like they had this um, internet code of conduct thing that they tried to launch recently, you know, to have consumer friendly business practices mm-hmm. that was geared towards this, like this like national right. crisis of the shitty service we get from our telecom sector. And like they had a window of 40 days for submissions from consumer groups. The consumer groups just said, fuck off and, and boycotted <laughs> the whole process. Right. So like, I don't even know where to begin with this. It's scary. And I've, I've seen this happen before where like, a government proposal, and I see RTC as arm's length, sure, sure, sure. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's just so ludicrous and so antithetical to the public good and so revolting to the public that I'm like, how mad do I really want to get about this because it's never going to happen because people are furious? Right. But then it happened. I mean, the news bailout happened. Nobody liked that. And I, yeah. I, this shit's probably going to happen. So right. I got I to gotta sit down with Michael Geist or somebody and, and have a longer – like because this is complicated policy stuff. Absolutely. It's, it's obviously a very, very high concern – to media in Canada and to this company. So, uh, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I'll, I'll shout out a 2016 report by uh, the CCPA. And uh, th- these are some, some policy recommendations that you'll probably uh, disagree with, but I'll just list them off real quick. Remove new media exemption orders for all OTT services and ensure OTTs start to comply with broadcast regulations. That's point number one. Over the top services like Netflix, but everything yeah. else that's over the top too. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Number two, collect GST and HST and PSD. So, you know, VATs in general. Fine. And remit, yeah. remit those to federal and provincial. Number three, pay income tax. Number four, contribute to creation of CanCon, which is like one of these discussion points. Is like, should they pay a certain percentage of revenues and like have that dedicated to creating CanCon? Number five, carry inventory of Canadian programming. So not only create it, but then host it as well. And number six, probably your favorite, increase funding for CBC. <laughs> Stop trolling me, James. Um, <laughs> so all right, that's it. No, we're done. Okay, thank you. That's, that's your Canada Land Shortcuts. <laughs> Everybody, uh, if you want to talk to me about this, you can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send me. We have a Twitter account, and uh, that Twitter account is at Canadaland. James, where can people find you? They can find me also on Twitter, basically on a daily basis. It's at James underscore M underscore Wilt. And then I write uh, frequently for the Narwhal, Vice, Briar Patch Magazine, those kind of places. So yeah, hit me up on Twitter. Check James out. Check out this week's episode of Candleland Commons. It's so good. It is a look at the dirty, corrupt world of hockey and not even NHL hockey, but is it amateur? It's not amateur. It's whatever is, is not amateur, but not NHL. I don't know anything about hockey, <laughs> but I know that this week's episode of Commons is incredible. Give it a listen. And you can uh, find that and the original reporting that we publish on the regular at Candleland show.com this episode is produced by david crosby our managing editor is kevin sexton syndication is by cfuv 101.9 fm in victoria you can visit them online at cfuv.ca if you like what we do and if you'd like to receive versions of all of our podcasts that have no advertisements on them you can do that when you support us at patreon.com slash canadaland please do Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get. For just $2 a month, that is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. 
It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you.